Hi, Taylor. Hi, Mary. Okay. Hi, I'm Mary Doolitt, and welcome to the 10th episode of Recreation Therapy, A Canadian Perspective. A quick disclaimer per usual is that I'm a recreation therapist working for Fraser Health, and my views are my own and not a reflection of my workplace or organization. Tonight, I'm joined by Taylor Owens from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Taylor is the chair of the Saskatchewan Manitoba chapter since June 2020 and the Recreation Manitoba rep for CTRA since 2021. Taylor was on the Therapeutic Recreation Association of Atlantic Canada uh, from May 2011 to 2014 and has many other board experiences um, not specific to recreation therapy. Taylor is the CTRS and graduated with a Bachelor's of Science in Therapeutic Recreation uh, graduating in honors from Dalhousie in 2014, Nova Scotia, and Taylor currently works as a recreation therapist for the Health Science Centre, and her work history also includes neural rehab, long-term care, inpatient mental health, and phys med. I know Taylor from when I was on the Saskatchewan Manitoba chapter, and I'm looking forward to this episode because Taylor is a great advocate for recreation therapy in the prairies and has a lot of insight into the current challenges and opportunities. So thank you. Thanks, Mary. And then my first question is what the weather report is. <laughs> uh, it's not too bad. It's about minus 14 out here right now, and it hasn't snowed in about a week, so it's, it's a good day. <laughs> I like the snow. I think I checked the um, Saskatoon a couple of days ago and it was like negative 28. Mm-hmm. It was really cold here last week. It was like minus 40 all week. Okay. And that's yeah. without, the, without the wind chill. That would have been with the wind, but still like in the minus 30s as a base temp. Like it was just not nice. Yeah. A little mm-hmm. chill. Yeah, a bit too much. <laughs> I don't miss it, but it's kind of like a fun is kind of like extreme weather right yeah for tourism or something but um okay so what does recreation therapy look like in manitoba so jobs work settings rural yeah i mean there's so i guess when we talk about manitoba it's important i think to mention that like winnipeg the capital city which is where i'm located has the majority of the population so manitoba has just over, I think, 1.1 million people, and over 800,000 of them live in Winnipeg. So um, it's an interesting kind of landscape that you're dealing with. So in Winnipeg itself, you know, there's lots of opportunities in hospitals. Um, There's opportunities in long-term care. There's not really anything, as far as I can tell, in the community. I haven't really encountered any specific recreation therapy in the community. So I would say long-term care homes, personal care homes, hospitals are the main areas. And then when you kind of start to spread out outside of Winnipeg, um, there's a lot of smaller personal care homes and rural hospitals that I think a lot of times there's there's opportunities in, in the personal care homes, but not so much the rural facilities, because a lot of those more major acute cases end up in Winnipeg. So... I'm glad that you brought up personal care homes because um, the climate for community care is very different in Saskatchewan from what I experienced. Um, personal care homes were a huge thing and people would get like, I don't want to say shoved, but placed um, into mm-hmm. these homes 
with a lot of bedrooms and minimal care. Um, and some would have recreation, but most wouldn't. Um, and here in BC, you wouldn't really see that. Like there's more group homes and stuff for people living with mental health, which uh, they didn't mm-hmm. have in Saskatchewan. Um, and, and I think the clients that would live in those personal care homes would really be long-term care level here, but, um, or assisted living level here. Yeah. Personal care homes out here are actually what I would call long-term care homes. Um, I think there's such a variability in the language that we use across the country, like describing these different places. I, I, so there's assisted living and there's long-term care, which is kind of personal care homes, which are called, a lot of people call them PCHs in, in Manitoba. Um, so it's, yeah, it's fascinating. Like there's, I know we're going to talk maybe a bit later about qualifications, but there's such a variability too in the in the importance placed on recreation in, in a lot of those environments as well. So I can, I have a better understanding of what it's like in Winnipeg itself because I haven't really worked or lived anywhere other than Winnipeg since I moved here. Um, but there's not really one thing I, I'd love is that there's not really a, uh, a registry of, of professionals in the province. No one has an accurate idea of, of how many people work in, in the province and where they're working and what the standards of their work is like. So yeah, it's really interesting. When I was in Saskatchewan working in community with adults with uh, chronic health conditions, I had clients in PCHs, but mm-hmm. um, really a missed opportunity because I feel like when they are in a long-term care setting, say like Park Ridge Centre or... Um, I can't think of the other ones right now, but Bethany Manor or something. And then they have like a place for recreation, you know, a place to eat together. Um, yeah. It's, it's, anyways, that, that for me, I was like, oh, I forgot about PCHs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I guess like when I moved here, one, one of my first jobs was in, it was a combination facility. So it was two buildings and one building was, uh, like transitional care units. So people that were awaiting long-term care, but, you know, did, weren't placed yet. And then across the street, there was a, a personal care home and they were attached. But it was so interesting to see the different types of programs that would be run in each facility because my understanding now is that facility, the transitional care is actually taking more of that kind of mental health clientele of like people who need housing they need more supports it's not necessarily everyone that's headed to long-term care now they're they're getting younger clientele more complex clientele and the programs have changed even more since I was there so yeah it's really it's really interesting yeah ever-changing people Mm -hmm. keep people keep living um So what are some of the biggest challenges for practitioners in the province? And do you have any ideas for solutions? Yeah. Oh, boy. How long does the podcast run? Well, I was like, I feel like you'll have a lot of ideas. <laughs> and input, so this is a good question. I'm happy for you to speak for however long. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, I, I think the biggest issue is that we're so siloed from one another. So... In Winnipeg, you know, like I, I try and reach out to other people working in recreation therapist, recreation facilitator positions as I meet people. And then there are some people I even message who like, I've never actually met in person, but I'm like, I've heard of you. Can I talk to you about what's going on at your facility? Because I think 
it's so important that we connect because it's, we may only be a 20 minute drive from one another, but we never see one another because there's no opportunities for us to connect. We don't have, um, when I first started working at Health Science Center where I am now, I don't, I don't want to get too into the weeds here, but we were part of the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. And then um, every month or so, there would be these meetings of TR leadership. So someone from each site, each hospital met at a table and it was often the clinical service leads and they would meet and they would discuss what was going on and then they'd bring that back to their teams. And that was really useful. It was unfortunate that not everybody could go, but it made sense that the clinical service leads would go. And then Health Science Center got pulled out of the health authority. Even though it's in Winnipeg, it got removed because they created a, a whole other health system that they decided Health Science Center as the largest hospital in the province should be a part of. So we didn't get it. We don't have a place at that table anymore. We're the largest hospital in the province and we don't have a seat at that table because we're not part of the health authority. So we've all re- we've just been totally removed. Um, so there's not really opportunities for us to get together and to talk. We um, I'm the recre the therapeutic recreation rep for recreation Manitoba, which is a, it's like the generalized recreation membership in the province. So you can be a part of that if you work in rec therapy, if you work in aquatics, if you work in parks. Um, and they host an annual conference, but it's not necessarily TR centric. So there's TR sessions sometimes, but it's not a, a specifically TR conference. So sometimes attending those, you kind of happen to meet people who are working in TR as well but not always. And it's not always, you know, with COVID COVID's the caveat for everything. We haven't really had a chance to, to get together at all. So you're working in silos, you're working at different facilities that have different programs. Like, so I work in the only spinal cord injury rehab in the province. So there's not really anyone else I can reach out to in the province that does the same kind of work I do even within our own facility. So we've had, we used to have, four full-time positions, five full-time positions, and two part-time positions. And now we're down to two full-time, two part-time because there were cuts made by the government a few years ago. So every facility kind of lost funding, lost positions. And that kind of further deteriorates your ability to get together. Like, so I think that's the biggest thing is, is even if you are all getting together, say you're going to a conference in Winnipeg, there's so many people that maybe can't make the, the trip to Winnipeg. You know, it's, it's winter, <laughs> but uh, it, the highways aren't always great. But even just time, money, support from your organization, you know, are those resources available to you to make the trek? So I think sometimes it just takes somebody literally reaching out by email or phone or being like, hey, I'm a stranger and you're a stranger. <laughs> can we talk about what you're doing and what I'm doing and how we can connect? And I've made some really great connections that way. Um, so I'm, I feel like I'm trying to pull a community together. And I I think there just needs to be more support for that. And I don't know where the support comes from. I think, I think everyone's really busy. I think everyone has large caseloads and not a lot of time in their day. So how do you make the time and how do you get the support potentially from your management to say, have everyone connect or have that time to bring everyone together? Or, you know, maybe it's a TR specific conference or, you know, yeah. 
Oh, I do want to say that I think I misspoke when I introduced you because I'm um, I assumed the Recreation Manitoba rep was for CTRA, but oh yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it's the it's the TR rep for uh, Recreation Manitoba. Okay, then I'm gonna scoot down to question eleven because um, I don't know the difference between that organization and Rec Connections. It sounds similar from what I'm thinking. It is Rec Connections. Oh, okay. so they changed their name to Recreation oh. Manitoba. Yeah, <laughs> within the last year, two years. I would say the last two years. Yeah, because I know I was looking for Rec Connections like two years ago, googling for, but I was like, I don't know where they went. What happened? It's because they okay. changed their name. Because you were trying to get in touch with them to when we were on the board. Yes, I was. So maybe can we scoot down? Is there anything else you want to say about um, the function that it serves in Manitoba? You kind of spoke about it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it's a generalized rec membership for anyone that works in any sector of recreation. So um, they actually did used to have a TR day, but then they've decided to incorporate TR just into their general annual conference, which I think is a good idea. Um, I just haven't had the chance to attend yet because of COVID. So we haven't had one to, to date uh, since COVID. So that change happened, I think, after the TR day in 2019. So, okay. um, mm -hmm. so, so it serves all recreation. Yeah. So the same in Saskatchewan. Yeah, I would say they're very, very similar. So it's very good that they have you as a recreation therapist um, representing rec therapy in Manitoba. Well, and do you know how that happened? No, but you can tell me. Somebody reached out who was working in rec therapy, who was on the board and was leaving their position and through a network that they had also created because they were there in a city an hour and a half outside of Winnipeg had heard about me and she reached out by email. So that's another kind of tie into that building community, like not being afraid to reach out and say, Hey, and she actually ended up that, that individual ended up attending some of our CTRA events as well and bringing some of her colleagues into a CTRA event. So I think it's a good example of what can happen when you just reach out and say, Hey, let's work together. I like that. And then you mm -hmm. can have seat at the table where you can kind of, especially with the, the Saskatchewan Manitoba chapter to have your your separate uh, roles within the yeah. for the field. Good. Exactly. Wonderful. That's what we were wanting. So, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> okay. So with no educational institutions for recreation therapy in Manitoba, how do you think this impacts opportunities for student mentorship and professional growth in the province? I know you take students from other provinces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so the University of Manitoba doesn't have a TR degree. They have a recreation management and community development degree. So there are some folks who are part of that program who want to get into recreation therapy, which is awesome. Um, I think it's harder for harder for them in the sense that they're not given any of the specific. They have there's no TR courses. So how do you how do you get into that field without that kind of base knowledge? So um, I've worked with lots of people who have that degree who get it and they're super invested in their clients and they're super invested in patient care and they're really good at what they do. But I, I have so much respect for them in, in the fact that they kind of come in blind. Like my program, I got to go into hospitals and do programs and projects for hospital programs or community organizations. And there were volunteer opportunities and 
um, you know, I did my, I did a placement because I, I did the NCTRC exam. So I did my internship and that gave me the chance to get into a clinical setting and, you know, the courses look different. So for folks to come out of that degree and go into it, I feel like they're starting almost kind of blind in the sense of like, they don't learn. I don't, I don't know that they learn anything about documentation or evaluating a program or creating a program. Um, but the people I've worked with have been great, but unfortunately I don't, I haven't had it happen yet, but I, I don't plan to take students from the program because there's so many other students um, out there from TR specific programs that are looking for placements. And that's something else I'm finding is I took my first student in the fall of 2020. I loved it. It was a great experience. And now I'm getting like three times as many requests to take placements now because yep. your name gets out there, <laughs> which is awesome. And then students want to come do placement with you. And I've had to say no to people. And that really sucks. I don't like it. Um, but it's the unfortunate reality. Like if you want to do the exam to become a CTRS and you need the placement, um, I know Regina and Saskatoon are really kind of, there's just so many students and they get, there's, there's nowhere for them to go. So they have to start looking out, um, out of province or kind of out of the areas that they want to do their placement in. And I have so much admiration for these students, like reaching out and sending emails and putting themselves out there. Yeah. Um, it's hard. Mm -hmm. So they have to that's, hustle. yeah, they have to hustle. And like, I feel so horrible saying no and not offering interviews. I mean, it's, no, I don't. love students. No, <laughs> I love students. That on. <laughs> no, I know. But I, I, I do really enjoy educating and I really enjoy taking students. But I, I mean, again, you have to with COVID, right? Like you never know what's going to happen or if the placement's going to finish or, you know, I recently had a student that I had to end the placement early and it but unfortunately wasn't because of COVID. It was for other reasons, but that was hard too. And, and to have a student not finish a placement is it takes a takes a toll on you because then you kind of reevaluate your whole program. So there's, there's lots of students out there who need placements and are really looking for spots. Um, what was the other part of the question? Um, okay. With no educational institutions, um, just how does that impact student mentorship opportunities in the process? Oh, growth in the province, professional growth, growth in the province. Yeah, that's. Oh, maybe that's... I just say first, cause I had a couple yeah. of thoughts first part of all the things you said that I liked mm -hmm. um, and I really like uh, you have quite a nice um, perspective on saying that um, the students from that program aren't prepared for for um, to be you know in rec therapy even though they are very good practitioners um, and and I think that's that entry level qualification thing so I sort of mm -hmm. have the other perspective that's kind of like how I've spoken in the past, how we're a very inclusive profession and we kind of like let everyone in because there is no entry level qualifications. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's not their fault that there's not a program and that right now facilities are accepting this as entry level qualifications, um, that they are able to do the work um, even though they don't have the training for it. So it would be nice if there was training for it in Manitoba. And mm -hmm. I just actually, uh, today I had a student from the U of R, I wasn't gonna take a student either, but I had a U of R <laughs> student approach me and we interviewed her yesterday and she's wonderful, uh, Zoe Chen. And oh good, cause she wrote to me and I had to tell her no. Well, I told her no first. She's, I... <laughs> she's lovely. Oh my gosh, she's great. 
yeah and then I passed her on to everyone else in Fraser Health and then it came back to me and I was like okay I'll take her well I did an interview first because I was like that's a big commitment to be with someone and Mm -hmm. um, she's my second U of R student and my second internship student and I'm yeah she interviewed wonderfully I'm looking forward to it um Oh, what did you say about, oh, right. And then the other um, rec therapist that interviewed with me, she said that herself and another rec therapist um, within Providence Health, they only take students who sign up to do their CTRS exam um, during their internship because, you know, because we are CTRSs um, Mm -hmm. to kind of spend our energy and our time on, on students who want to do that and who are actually going to do it. um, Yeah to sort of like advance the profession that way because otherwise you know they could have a placement with someone else if they don't want to take their CTRS so I was like oh okay moving forward I am putting that in the contract and I will only take students who sign up for their CTRS. Yeah yeah that's something I've thought about as well because I've I've, my very first student um, it's a geographical thing right so she lives in Churchill Manitoba which is if you know anything about Manitoba (laughs) It's very nope. far away. It's on the, it's on the Hudson Bay and it's only really accessible by train or plane. And a few years ago, their train line washed out. I believe it's fixed now. Um, so for someone who lives in a super Northern community um, could at any point uh, like plan to take the exam and then have transportation canceled because of weather or something. It's so stressful for them because there's also nowhere for them to write it in Manitoba. So you actually have to leave the province to write it. Um, so it's something I've kind of debated with maybe going forward in the future of like, is this something? Cause that's like, that was a super one-off, right? Where like, I don't know that she's completed the exam, but she at very, at very least has the internship done. So she could, and she's now working, which is awesome. But it's like, oh gosh, what if, what if there's no, like, maybe that's something we need to look at is like, but why would there be places for people to write it if there's no in- educational institution that offers a degree that would allow you to write it? So it's like this weird, vicious circle, this vicious cycle you're on all the time. So something to think about for, for I guess, NCTRC, <laughs> if we can maybe get somewhere for people to write it. Well, so. um, yeah, we could just call our friend Anne Richard, the executive director for NCTRC. She's been on the podcast. and then Oh, perfect. Um, yeah, I'll just send her an email and <laughs> no big deal. Um, and then also, oh, no, I'm losing all my thoughts today. Okay, so NCTRC, can't remember. Hmm, can't carry on. So the okay. second part of the <laughs> conversation, if it comes back to me, normally I write it down and that's my problem. I'm not writing stuff down lately. Uh, okay, okay, so how does this impact professional growth in the province? Well... If there's no educational institution that offers the appropriate degree, no one is ever going to change the job descriptions or the entry level requirements to do the work. So I think that's huge. That's number one. Um, uh, job descriptions here don't list a specific TR degree or any TR degree. It's just that's a whole other thing, which I, I believe we'll talk about. So if there's no actual program, that's not going to be put on the job description. So we're going to be taking anyone from whatever program the province deems is appropriate. So step one, that's an issue. Um, We can't have professional growth if the educational institutions, again, like if you're not providing TR courses, then you're not hiring people to teach those courses who I would ideally think are recreation therapists or at the very least have degrees in leisure. 
So you don't have any advocacy from the level of the educational institution either. There's no professors that are advocating for change or lobbying, you know, the health authority for those changes. Um, the students that are coming out of the program have the qualifications they need to do the job. What they, th I think what they think the job is and what the job actually is, depending on where you've gone to school is different, right? So for me, I think you, I, I, I personally believe you need a degree in therapeutic recreation at minimum to become a recreation therapist. <laughs> Just like we expect occupational therapists to go to school to become an occupational therapist. We expect physiotherapists to go to school and get degrees in, in, to be physiotherapists. I think it's the same thing. But if the educational institution is not offering that and grads are coming out thinking that they're ready for those types of jobs that they, they technically haven't got the appropriate education for, then we're just going to keep filling these jobs with people who don't have that level of education that is needed and it just perpetuates because then there's no one going to those classes to talk about again I my personal belief is that professional organizations are important <laughs> I wouldn't sit on so many of them if I didn't think they were important mm -hmm. so there's no one going into those schools to talk about becoming a member of CTRA to talk about what a professional membership can do for you no one's talking about the credential the CTRS credential which I believe is the next step as well for recreation therapy in Canada is we should be requiring the CTRS one thing at a time but that's that's where I'd like to see it go um, so students also are, are coming out of that program thinking that they're trained to be a recreation therapist with no recreation therapy courses and then also no involvement in the professional organization so then we have all these people practicing who aren't following standards of practice I know for me personally in my current job I have been told by many of my colleagues that they've never seen someone practice like me before mm -hmm. in a positive way. I should, should specify. <laughs> uh, <No>. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the way I approach my job is so much different. They were astounded when I first started that I went to rounds Yeah, and I spoke in rounds and that I documented and mm -hmm. so that I, that I had an assessment tool. And I think when we're, when we're working with people, especially in an acute care setting, I mean, there's so many things we need to be mindful of, but if we're not assessing our clients for their goals and their needs and the areas they need to work on to reach those things, then what are we doing? Like there's most definitely a place in recreation therapy for fun and games, literally as fun and games. But, you know, everyone likes to juggle. You went to school to play games. I did, but with a purpose. And I think that purpose piece is, is missing. And again, I haven't gone through the U of M program, so I don't really truly, I can't speak to what what courses are being offered, but I know I have some colleagues who have been trying to advocate for chair courses to be added to the curriculum. And I have worked with people that went through the program 30 plus years ago <laughs> when it was a TR program. Okay. And I've had managers that went through the program when it was a TR program. So there is a, there is a difference that my colleagues have spoken to and, and to the people I know who are trying to implement TR courses, I, I had someone email me once asking if I knew anyone that would move to Winnipeg to be a sessional instructor for an intro to TR course, because that was what the university was kind of on the fence about offering. But, you know, I don't know anybody that wants to. <laughs> Most people say, I, why did you move to Winnipeg? But, I'll do a distance if they would accept a bachelor level education. And that was the other thing is the bachelor, because I was like, I'll do it if you'll accept a bachelor <laughs> level education. But yeah. they were looking for a master's minimum. So, Fair. 
you know what? It's good to see that people are pushing for it and that there's maybe some, some small movement there. And again, I want to be clear, I didn't take the program and I'm, I don't want to disparage anybody that does that wants to be a part of the profession. I just think we need to start setting some educational standards because if we don't, then we don't have people. There's no following of standards of practice. There's no. And I think that's a really basic thing is standards of practice. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned standards of practice, because when I heard you say it's my belief, it's my belief a couple of times, I was like, well, I don't know if it's a belief because belief is like Christmas and the tooth fairy and stuff. <laughs> but like um, there's standards of practice. So it's not about believing in the standards of practice. You know, it's about no, fighting it's about by the doing it practice. And then, but again, if they're not in the association, they don't know the standards of practice. And then the thing that I forgot to say, I remembered right after you spoke. Um, so like how Douglas College has the diploma level um, that's virtual. So can people can take it across Canada from their mm -hmm. home. And then um, the University of Lethbridge has the degree level education. So, I mean, technically in Manitoba, there is a rec therapy specific degree program virtually through University of Lethbridge yeah through other options yeah um and that's very true and if it's... Manitoba if the university wants that money <laughs> you know they can <laughs> PR course mm -hmm. yeah because I think that's the other thing too is is what's the demand because if we don't have people coming into practice with that minimum degree level education like the the TR degree specifically mm -hmm. um I think that there's also a huge gap of knowledge, a lack of understanding uh, of what we do. And I think everyone you talk to, no matter what province they're in, will tell you that. But I can tell you that in Manitoba, nobody really knows. Um, like in terms of management level, it, it really feels like I've spent a lot of time advocating, which I'm happy to do because I love what I do. Um, but it's taken me a long time to bring my colleagues, like my like OT and physio colleagues and managers I've had a couple managers over the years you know to, to really educate them on on what it is I do and I've started to sometimes instead of getting up on my soapbox and telling people I show them I just do my job and I go in every day and I and I do the things that are, are important to me and important to my clients and I try and do them really well and I think that's where a lot of that acknowledgement has come from of like oh yeah you do this differently than the people we've worked with before because as far as I know I'm the first CTRS in that role so it's nice to hear other people say that you're you're doing things differently and in a way that they really they really like and it's opened opportunities for me in my workplace and my advocating has gotten me some different responsibilities that I really love so if we don't have students coming out of the degree going into the jobs practicing according to standards of practice they also can't advocate for what they're doing and why they're important um, and again, some people get it. Some people do just get it and that's what they want to do. And, and maybe that's just what's available to them. So they take that course. And then of course, cause the job standards aren't, aren't specifically TR related. People can take those jobs. And, and I think there's a lot of people building it in the role into whatever they think is important to them. So it's variable. Sounds about on track. Um, <laughs> but I feel I feel like uh, maybe going to the schools in Manitoba and letting them know about the other virtual options so that they're not like, I want to do recreation. Oh, okay, that's what they have. I'll do that. But like, oh, there's other options and this is the difference. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and I think the thing is, is that that's one of the reasons why the U of M hasn't started a TR trade because they've said there's enough competition elsewhere. Like we don't need to offer the course because there's other provinces and other schools offering those courses, which to an extent I get, like if you want to do that, you can go next door to Saskatchewan, you can go next door to Ontario, you can go, you can go to pretty much any province to get that kind of education. So I get it. Like, I don't know that it would necessarily be a moneymaker for them because they would just be establishing a new program and it would take a lot of time to recruit students and recruit educators and create the curriculum. Like, no, man, just go, just go to U of R, <laughs> you know? So I think that was part of their argument when some of my colleagues originally went to talk to them about it. Because To be fair, there are lots of options. That's fine. But if people leave Manitoba, they're probably not going to go back. Um, and then except for you moved there from Nova Scotia, which is shocking to me. But I, I, just, <laughs> I have not been there. I shouldn't poo-poo on Manitoba. I'm sure it's beautiful. I really love it here. To be honest, I didn't do my research when I moved here. Like my, the reason I ended up here because when I graduated school, I applied to jobs all across the country and told myself I'd go the first place that hired me. I didn't actually like choose and research. I got a job. I got a 0.5. I hopped on a plane with a suitcase and landed in Winnipeg. And I was like, I'll just stay for a year and like get some experience. And then I'll go back home and I'll like work with work in these other areas. And I, I have been here almost eight years. I absolutely love it. Good. Well, you Mm -hmm. Have to love it to stay there, I'm guessing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, but it's easy to love. Good. You know what? That's like Saskatchewan. Many people will leave Saskatchewan and go back. And actually, Saskatchewan is a beautiful place. And there's very nice people there. Um, mm-hmm. I did not like the wind. I mean, I could deal with the cold. It's like the wind in July. It's Canada Day. And like, your hair is blown across your face. And it shouldn't be windy. <laughs> I'm not into yeah. it. Oh, wow. Did this segue into the next question? Good. Okay. So what role does climate and culture play in play when considering program planning and interventions for clients in the province? Um, Can you give some examples? Mm -hmm. Well, climate, it's so cold. Um, Some people, I guess, could probably use that to their advantage. I tend to not do any really outdoorsy stuff with my clients. Um, that's also due to the nature of like, I work in the middle of downtown. There's no green space around me. And uh, most of my clients are wheelchair users and winter is not a very agreeable time for wheelchair users to be outside, especially because the sidewalk clearing is very poor. Um, But culture, I think is a big, there was a big shift when I moved here in my thinking because there's a very large indigenous population uh, in Winnipeg and in Manitoba. There's lots of First Nations communities. There's lots of Indigenous people living in the city. Um, there's a lot of Indigenous people living in the city who maybe would not want to be living in the city, but because of the disparity in, in um, health, like in health services, a lot of folks are kind of forced to come into the city to receive the care that they need, um, sometimes temporarily, sometimes permanently. So, um, Living in Nova Scotia, I didn't, as far as I know, encounter a lot of Indigenous people, which maybe speaks to my ignorance and and, uh, lack of understanding. Uh, In Winnipeg, I work with a lot of Indigenous people. And to be honest, I need to learn more. So one thing I'm looking at doing right now is um, the health authority I work for is offering a uh, safety and culture training for people working with Indigenous people. So I'd like to take that because 
I don't think that we can offer culturally competent care if we don't know what we're talking about. Blanket <laughs> um, exercise? Pardon? Have you done the blanket exercise? I know it was big in Saskatchewan and then um, in BC. Some of my friends have done it. No, is that when you fold up a blanket and you have to keep it's so, standing on the blanket? And it's so emotional. And I'm not a I cry. haven't done it. I cried. Yeah, it's so good. I think everyone on the planet should do it, really. Okay. Sorry, but- no, I'm going to have to look into it. Because, see, that's the thing is, um, I, I'm fortunate the hospital I work at has um, an Indigenous health services team. And you can consult them for folks. And they'll come and they'll, they'll provide uh, cultural ceremonies like smudging and different things. Um, but even recently with the, the discovery of all of the unmarked graves at residential schools, you know, just knowing how much, how much that impacts the people that we work with. Um, you know, that's something that would, before I moved to Winnipeg, I didn't know about residential schools, which is horrific. That is horrible to not know something that huge. When was the last one? Because I think 1996 was the last one in Saskatchewan. When was the last mm-hmm. one in Toba? Do you know? I don't know. Um, I'd have to imagine it would be probably around the same time. Uh, but I, I don't know. So um, to have not known something like that uh, is horrible. And it is, it is something that I, I'm trying to learn more. Um, I mean, that, that I think has been the biggest shift for me. I also didn't really, I never really had a, had a job as a recreation therapist in Halifax before I moved here. You know, I graduated and I moved. So this is my first kind of, this is, I think the biggest, the biggest shift I've had in my thinking. You know, I, I don't even think we were taught about things like this in university. I mean, you're always taught about like culturally competent care in the sense of like be mindful, but they don't tell you what to be mindful of and, and you'll I think no matter how many different cultures you speak about you're always going to miss something so we had um, a at Douglas College I will say though in Saskatchewan same thing for me about the indigenous clients and like mm-hmm. knowing that the trauma they come from and like mm-hmm. the impact that it has on them on many le- levels like um, through their grandparents and all that and then just being in a society where you have people who are racist and make comments yeah stereotype and you know and um and I in Burnaby like I would think oh I'll probably have quite a few more because I also know when I was in Saskatchewan many of the clients that were indigenous had spent some time on the lower downtown east side and then gone back to Saskatchewan because that people everyone tends to go back to Saskatchewan if they're from there and then I will share with you though I'll email you cultural conversations. I know some of my friends do it here. Um, they're once a month and they're so good. And the organizer yeah. Julie, I forget her last name, but she's so good. And um, she gets different people speaking about different stuff, um, like TB. And um, so they're all Indigenous people and they have different qualifications and life experience, um, like Two-Spirit. And um, it's mm-hmm. once a month and you sign up. And um, it's, from this, it's from Saskatchewan, though. That's where that started. But people join from all over. So I will send you Oh, that's that. fantastic. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's the thing is I... I don't think we should ever stop learning. Um, I just, I think that's the biggest thing cult- culturally so far. I mean, right now also with the 
I can't believe I'm on a podcast talking about this, but the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Manitoba has the largest proportion of, of Ukrainian people in Canada, like the largest population of Ukrainian people. So, I mean, there's lots of that happening right now, too. And I imagine if I was working in a like there are Ukrainian specific long term care homes in the city. You know, mm-hmm. can you imagine working with people who are watching this on the news and being like, that's my home or my family's there or whatever it is like there's just so many so many things outside of just race right you have there's so many things to learn about and be conscious of and your own biases being aware of that and mm-hmm. um like you said like <laughs> there are people who are racist and say horrible horrible things and sometimes they're your coworkers, and sometimes they're co-patients of these other patients and and there's a lot of stereotypes that come into play with um providing care for people um and sometimes it's your family. Sometimes you grew up, you know, with that narrative. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Even not intentional. Like, it's funny at the time, supposedly, right? It's But looking at it now, you cringe. You're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Or like, you know, when I first moved to Winnipeg, I remember my family being nervous because I don't know if you've heard, but Winnipeg was at one point crowned the murder capital of the world. Um, I don't know by what magazine, but thank you. Um, and I remember some family members being specifically concerned about my well-being um, because of the large indigenous population in Winnipeg. And I was like, OK, we need to back this truck up because that's not how this works. Like that's there's so many assumptions and stereotypes and horrible things that we're thinking of. And let's 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 back this up um, and learning, I think, also to be actively anti-racist has been something I've been trying to do more. Like if you're, if you're not saying something, um, you're complicit. (laughs) We had a, we had a team meeting. I was probably about a year and a half ago because we were having an issue on our, on our rehab floor of there were so many people coming in uh, who were homeless and we were having a backup of the beds because we couldn't find places to discharge people. Because if someone comes into rehab, like physical rehab and they're homeless, like they need an accessible, safe location to go, right? Where home care is going to be able to access them and family's going to be able to support them. And so sometimes we're, we're, our social workers are getting people on EIA and CPP disability and they're filling out housing applications. And um, some, some of the team was frustrated with this and we were sitting in a room and we were talking about it and I'm not going to name any names, but there were some folks who started to talk about how, maybe we should stop admitting homeless people to the rehab program. Like that was kind of the tone of the, con- that was kind of where the he- conversation was headed. And it was like, Oh my God, this is so unethical. We can't, we can't stop admitting people who are unhoused to the program because they're unhoused. Like everyone deserves a chance at rehab, regardless but maybe we need, they, yeah. they would need support even if they went from acute care. Exactly. And so Luckily, the manager stepped in and was like, okay, I think we need to take a step back and like, maybe the conversation needs to be we loop acute care in sooner. So they maybe start some of these applications before they come to rehab. Right? So maybe it's not so much that we stop admitting people who don't have homes and start the process sooner and get other units involved in that. Um, And it was just, maybe I've diverted a bit too much from the question, but I think sometimes we get really caught up in in the wrong things when we're working with people. And that's not a Winnipeg thing. I think that's everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think these are very interesting points and it kind of like speaks to, and I can relate to it being in Saskatchewan, you know, like you have a client who makes a racist comment and you're like, 
actually like do you know the trauma that these people have probably been through like I'd probably be doing the same thing you know like how 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 would you cope (laughs) yeah yeah I I just I mean we have our unit is like four beds to a room and you're not necessarily going to get someone in the room who agrees with everything about you or what you say or what you do um, and tensions can come to a head when people are dealing, everyone on the, on my unit is dealing with some level of trauma, right? They, mm-hmm. they now have a spinal cord injury or they've lost a limb or, you know, they're trying to learn to walk again. And now with COVID there's no visitors and there's no this and, and everyone's struggling and people are allowed to have bad days, but it doesn't mean that that's at the expense of somebody else. So having to navigate those things sometimes we're like, maybe it's not even a racist comment. Maybe just two people aren't getting along. Um, and how do you navigate this person's discontent with that one and that one's discomfort with this person without insulting either of them and like working through it <laughs> in a in a polite manner? It's it's sometimes it's really hard to navigate those dynamics. You know how we can so. bring this conversation back around? <laughs> <laughs> how is that um, recreation can really unite people. And mm-hmm. it's amazing when people are doing an activity together, which might not be happening right now so much because of COVID, but like mm-hmm. how those differences can be put aside and where people can see the good in other people. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great way to bring people together. And it's like everyone's working towards a common goal, maybe in the program or they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're all trying something new. So it's a level playing field. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so when looking at varying, we kind of talked about this, um, when looking at varying entry-level qualifications for practice in the province, from your experience, do you see a difference among, and I asked this question, I kind of know the answer already, but <laughs> amongst <more> extreme <laughs> and geographic areas, um, yeah. so rural, urban, health authority, private, nonprofit? All of the above. Um, yes, so to work in a hospital, in Winnipeg and I believe in other larger cities so we've got Brandon um, which is a city and then I'm probably I'm probably going to stop there for now because I don't want to speak too far out of my realm here Um, to work in a hospital in in the cities you need a degree so you need a an undergrad so a lot of times the job description will say uh, in recreation therapy or equivalent sometimes it will list the U of M degree or equivalent um, as I think as long as it has recreation in the title, they're on board. Um, to work in long-term care in the city, you do not require a degree. So there's a program at Red River College called Recreation Facilitation for Older Adults. And it's an eight to 10 month, I don't know if it's eight or 10 months, but it's around their um, kind of diploma program. And so those anyone with that can work in a long-term care facility because it's specifically tailored to older adults. So um, I have worked in long-term care, the transitional care unit with the degree. It didn't change my, my pay at all. It didn't, it didn't impact anything about my job. I still got paid the same as a facilitator. What's the um, pay? Uh, when I started, it was $17. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was in like 2015. No. Um, and it and it may have changed since then. That was the very starting because I had no experience either. So that's where I came in at. I don't know what it is now. Um, I'll just share that I started at a long term care home for a private place in 2014 in Surrey, and I had nineteen dollars. And yeah. I done my first year of my diploma only. Wow. 
Okay. Yeah, so it, it varies. Um, I know that there are some places that do hire with degrees. I don't know if they have like a, a two tier system, like if there's like a degree versus diploma. Um, once you start getting outside of cities and more of the rural areas, kind of bedroom communities, I've seen postings for personal care homes that require grade 12. I've seen those. In yeah. Yeah. So I think the further out you are, like it's grade 12. Um, and I, I think I don't quite know the difference between private and public, like health authority run. Uh, I've, I haven't seen like the job postings for private, I believe only require the red river, but if you have a degree, then that is also acceptable. But I think the minimum would be the red river program. Well, I'm sure that you'd get better quality care for the same price. Yeah. Um, so the red people coming from the Red River program, because I'm guessing even though it's a program for facilitating programs, which is like what I did in my first um, job, could they also, I'm guessing, take on management positions in long-term care, like um, more coordinated no. or the lead of the recreation department? No. No, that's good. Um not that I've seen. So there was a posting a while ago for actually the, the long-term care home I worked at. It was a posting for the manager position there for the rec department. And they were asking for a degree. That's good. Yeah. I think same for the private. Like I haven't, I don't know what it's like rurally. Cause I also don't know that like if you're in a rural PCH with a small number of beds that there even is a manager, you're probably just uh, like the unit manager is probably just your manager. I don't know that there'd be a, like a department yeah and they probably work at multiple sites it wouldn't be like full-time at one place it's possible I'm not too sure because I, I know I just attended a presentation um done by two therapists from Saskatchewan who were talking about the rural setup in Saskatchewan and how yeah like a lot of times facilitators work at multiple sites or they're creating calendars for like multiple sites but not able to even go into the facility they're making a calendar for mm-hmm. like it was it was pretty wild um, so I don't know what it's like in Manitoba because I really a lot of those folks who I think work way out in rural kind of bedroom communities don't come out for a lot of that other stuff. I could be wrong, but I don't know that they're coming out to conferences and different things because I, I don't imagine they're given the resources or the time to do that. So mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but uh, you're probably right. I, I trust your judgment. You've been there long enough. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll say it's true. Uh, so is there a standard job description within the health authority? And what does that look like? So you said it can include anything with uh, recreation in the title. Yeah, that's what I've seen. Um, the different jobs I've applied for or just have seen online. So yeah, a lot of times it's um, a degree in either like the recreation management community development or equivalent or recreation like recreation therapy or equivalent um the site i work at has a director of ot and tr and so she was part of making the job description so she does list therapeutic recreation degree in the job description um and then really it's just like they basically at my site specifically uh, because of my my previous clinical service lead helped with the position so it basically takes the, uh, oh my gosh, I'm so blanking on the name. And I know it, it's the leisure ability model. Okay. It takes the leisure ability model and breaks it down into the therapist will 
Um, And then it's each section. So provide leisure education and and they also take API and they put it in there too. So we'll assess, plan, implement. Um, So it just, it just kind of takes some of the lingo and puts it into the job description. Nice. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So these are kind of funner questions. Um, So you started out as treasurer the first year. Um, mm-hmm. from Saskatchewan Manitoba chapter and then stepped into the role of chair um, what has been some of some of the learning curves around being part of the creation process and how do you feel the chapter is filling in a gap a need in the prairies okay I mean learning curves is I had never well no that's that's not true I had chaired a board before but I hadn't chaired a board um, specifically recreation therapy um I also became chair right as COVID kind of started, which was, I mean, that definitely impacts, I think, the energy level of the board. Because all of our board members, except for me, are from Saskatchewan. Um, there is a, if anyone is listening to this from Manitoba, there's a Manitoba rep position that's been emptied the entire time. Pretty well, much the chapter's been have, a thing. You did have one for a bit. We did have one for a bit. I think we had a someone for a year. Um, but I mean, we that's that's a huge thing is that we don't have membership or board members from Manitoba, um, which has been a challenge. But so a, a lot of our folks uh, on the board are from Saskatchewan. And so I think our waves have kind of been one after the other. So like Manitoba will start a COVID wave and then Saskatchewan will get it really shortly after. Um, and I know that members of the board have, you know, been dealing with outbreaks on their units or at their places of work where they're being redeployed um, and not working their regular hours or not doing their regular job duties and people are feeling really burnt out. So it's been hard trying to keep the energy up, I think, a lot of the time. And and people are, are very obviously and, I mean, understandably concerned about their health and well-being of themselves and their families. Um, sometimes you know sometimes we'll set a goal as the board and and everyone kind of gets busy and a bit distracted right now because of what's going on so maybe sometimes it's it's taken us sometimes a little longer I think to do things than we had hoped but I'm still really pleased with the work that we have been doing I think the 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 board and the 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 chapter itself like I think has been a really great addition like Manitoba and Saskatchewan the reason we have the chapter is because we don't have TR specific organizations in the provinces right so we're a an arm of CTRA but we're really meant to be meeting the needs of the membership in those provinces because um, SARP and Recreation Manitoba don't tailor specifically to us which is fair Um, so I think it's been a positive influence like I said it's been really tough in Manitoba to get membership and to get uh, someone to sit on the board. That's something that I have been working on in my spare time. Uh, but ultimately, it's it's brought a lot of opportunities, I think, to people in the prairies, you know, like, it's not always feasible to travel for a conference, and it's hard to get CEUs. So I think we've done some really great webinars that have brought people together and also kind of helped motivate people to an extent when everyone's just feeling like COVID is everything and all the time everywhere. 
So it's really nice to go to a webinar and like hear about something that has nothing to do with COVID and it's a program or it's, we recently had Crystal Watson speak to us about resilience and resiliency and bouncing back, which was really phenomenal and a great way to celebrate Tara Month. So um, we're bringing opportunities to people as best we can. And I'm really looking forward to the day when we can all get together in person uh, and, and do some of those things and some networking together. So learning curves uh, outside of trying to keep energy up and, and trying to navigate what members needs are in such a complicated time um, has also been delegation. I've, I've found out I'm horrible at delegation. I'll just do it. I'll just say I'll do everything. And that doesn't lend itself well to teamwork, <laughs> cohesion. Um, you know, it also doesn't lend itself to I'm done technically in my position at the end of June. And if you sit there and you say you're going to do everything and then nobody has a hand in anything when you leave, then what happens? So I've been trying really hard to delegate more um, because it's not just about the chair running everything, right? It should be the the members of the board, people sitting there in those meetings are representatives of different areas of the province and different um, different areas of recreation therapy, different client populations, and they should be able to jump in and feel comfortable to provide ideas and, and things that they they're hearing from members or even just you know where they think we need to be going next so that's something I'm learning about myself no that's good yeah because I think people bring different experience and knowledge and that um yeah sharing that sort of confidence in other members to do some work is is a way to lighten your load and get things done exactly and also just encourage people to to bring bring their ideas and and them themselves really to the table and feel comfortable to share that. So, yeah, I'm learning <laughs> just in time to wrap it up and hand it to someone else. Well, that's the way it works. Um, I know. <laughs> but but uh, what are some of the greatest accomplishments of the chapter um, since its inception in 2019, and what have been your proudest moments on the board? Oh, I like this question. So like you like it too? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think just its actual existence <laughs> is a really big positive because I know so many people were working on this for so long. Like when I, oh gosh, I think it was probably 2016 or 2017, my clinical service lead at the time was actually one of the people on the chapter committee. So she was helping to form it. And she invited me to one of the meetings. She's like, I think that you should be a part of this because she was planning on retiring, which she ended up actually doing, which I was very proud of her. Um, so I just like seeing the work that the group had put in for, I think, probably five years before I even hopped on. That might be a bit much, but uh, multiple years before I joined 2017. It was another two years before 2019. So I think just its existence and the persistence of of people in Saskatchewan and Manitoba seeing the importance and wanting it to happen and making it happen is huge. So um, I have really, one thing that we've started is uh, we just held our second annual one this year, this week um, is University of Regina Research Night. So we have students from the U of R during TR month do presentations for professionals so they can talk about uh, a, pro a research program they did for a class or we last year had a master's student talk about their research um, about supporting LGBTQ seniors in long-term care 
Um, we just had somebody present this past week who just graduated. Her name was Kara Fisher. She worked with Jennifer Berger. Um, they created a consultative process for rural long-term care homes. So they met once a month with long-term care home uh, therapists as a group and helped them kind of revitalize their calendars and talked about issues they were facing. And um, even though Kara's done her placement now with Jennifer and has graduated, Jennifer is continuing those meetings and is building a community of these long-term care therapists, which is phenomenal. So hearing about research that students are doing, I love. I also think it's a great way to give students a platform. Um, I remember doing something similar when I was in school at Dal. Um, Actually, the community college did it. The Nova Scotia Community College um, had a two-year diploma program, and they would do, like, a research night. And students from Dow would go, and professors from both schools would go, and professionals, like, real-life recreation therapists would come in the evening and, like, talk to you about your research and your presentations. And it was so neat. And I really wanted something like that. Because um, it's just a great way to, to network, and then students can kind of – um, meet professionals, something we're talking about maybe adding next year as a networking portion, either before or after, so students actually get a chance to talk to therapists. Um, again, it's all been virtual up till this point, so maybe, hopefully next year it could maybe be done in person with a virtual component for people that can't get there. So that's been huge. I think students really um, deserve an opportunity to share the hard work that they're doing. So that's been a big one. Um, uh, oh, there was something else I was going to say. I mean, I could go on forever. I, I think the webinars are a big one, too. So last year we did three or four webinars. Um, this year we have done uh, one webinar. I think we have a second one in the works. And then we kind of um, we kind of did the research night as one it's we have we have less webinars this year but i think again bringing continuing education to people um on the prairies is super important because we don't have well, i guess there's um what's the one that happens in innovations happens in yeah. saskatchewan mm -hmm. um i haven't personally attended so i don't know what it's like but i think it's only every second year um and I don't know if the health authority in Saskatchewan is providing TR specific education, but you know, it's just nice to know that we're offering TR specific education that CEU pre-approved to people, whether you're collecting CEUs or not, at least, you know, you're getting good quality webinars. Um, I mean, you set us up with one last year, Mary, with the, the art therapist, which was phenomenal. Oh, um, yeah, I, it was really great. I want to see it. <laughs> um, I think it's on the mem members only page. Okay. I think. Or maybe not. Let me see. It. Um, <laughs> uh, I, again, like I, I love continuing education. I kind of alluded to that earlier of like, I, I think we always need to keep learning. Um, again, it can feel really isolating working out in the prairies um, without TR specific organizations or TR specific celebrations. I think that there's a, there's a lot of advocacy that needs to happen. So it's really nice to, from the comfort of your home, be able to log into a webinar and like learn something new and like feel a bit revitalized. And especially if it's happening live, if you're not watching a pre-recording -rec uh, pre or whatever, pre-recording, no, you know what I mean? It hasn't been recorded. Um, yeah, you were close. I will, okay, <laughs> I think, perfect. I, I think it passed, yeah. Okay, great. Um, 
you know, like you can be a part of the chat and that's really nice. So those are two big things I'm really proud of. Um, I think, you know, it's been, it's, it's been tough with COVID. It's been a, a big learning curve. We're still so new. Right. And I, I'm very much a perfectionist and I really like to do as much as I can, as fast as I can, as well as I can. Um, so taking a step back and being like, wow, we've really accomplished a lot in our first three years as an organization. Um, I mean, some of our webinars last year were used as part of the CTRA conference, which was really great. Um, I'd say those are, are two of the biggest things I'm proud of. I'm glad you said the student research night because I would say that for me and the webinars too, for me for Saskatchewan, I'm so happy that that will continue every year and that that mm -hmm. partnership is built with the university. Um, Douglas College just did theirs on Monday virtually that I attended and because they have the research component in their like in their education and that every mm -hmm. student that graduates the degree has a research study done. Um, oh, wow. It's such high quality um and they have like five or six people present full research studies um mm. that they've done in their fourth year and so it's very interesting I go to those actually I've, even when I was in Saskatchewan I went virtually um yeah and I'm always like publish it go make sure you publish it. <laughs> that's really cool yeah no and yeah the one that I went to the first um one for Saskatchewan that was awesome yeah, I really, I really, I'm really glad it happened again this year and that the partnership has been developed. Um, I, it's just, it's 20 minutes. So a student can talk about really anything they want. But the, the thing is, is they have to be interested in speaking about it too. That's the thing is, it's not like a mandatory thing. So the research you're hearing is students that are comfortable and interested in, in sharing it with, with people, which I love, like outside of their class. So but I think that'll grow like the same as at Douglas College. Now yeah. students, I can tell they're so research and they're so like, they want to do good research. They're excited to share and talk about their research. Like they value research. They're interested in the findings and sharing it and the impacts on practice. So I bet you it'll grow and more people will hear about this and be like, I want to present. I want to present yeah. a good opportunity. Cause like, hello, we've seen your face, we know you, we know the quality of your work, you're more likely to get a job, really. Yeah, that, and that's, that was part of my hope, too, is getting, starting to acquaint people with, with professionals that are out there sooner. Um, like, I know Rebecca Janot, twice now I've gone and spoken to her class each year about professional organizations and why it's important to be a part of your professional organization and, you know, what CTRA is and what they do. Um and I, I have gotten a lot of students contacting me afterwards about placements and different things because of that. Um, and, I, you know, being able to go and speak to a class is great. I really enjoy it. I really like being able to represent the chapter and represent CTRA there. And it's also a great way to connect with students. Like I always find when I do that, the students are super engaged, asking questions and like they want to know. Oftentimes the conversation will divert and they'll want to know, like, what do you do? Like, what's your area of practice and like what's your feedback and what's it like to get a placement and and it, it opens up doors for more conversation which I love yeah I really feel for people on the prairies like they graduate and then some of them don't well they're they can't graduate until they do their placement and sometimes it takes a couple semesters to get a placement especially yeah. if you're willing to wait for a CTRS one yeah and that's the thing is like 
a lot of the students I'm I'm hearing from want CTRS specific placements and it's gone to the point where like I've emailed the other CTRSs that I know exist in Winnipeg that I maybe haven't met in person and been like any of you looking for a student would any of you be willing to take a student <laughs> they probably think I'm crazy but I'm not going to stop because I will try my best to help students as much as I can <laughs> I know that's why I took one I was like okay yeah I haven't taken a Douglas College one yet but next time mm. Um, okay, so can you speak about membership um, and the benefits of being a member of the chapter? So kind of what the numbers are like now, the growth, um, professional versus student, and recruitment retention strategies. Mm -hmm. So right now, a rough estimate for membership, because it's March, um, and membership for CTRI renews in March. So as of last count, I believe there were uh, I want to say 35 members, possibly 38. Um, all but one of those is from Saskatchewan. Spoiler alert, I'm the only one not from Saskatchewan. Um, uh, I believe it's it's more professionals than students, but I have found going to Rebecca's, I say going to, like virtually going to Rebecca's class and speaking about membership has added student members. Um we also make it a requirement that if you're sitting on the board, you become a member. So a lot of our student board members become members of the chapter that way as well. Like maybe they weren't prior, but as a requirement to sit on the board, they do it and then they stay members. Um, recruitment and retention is tough. So one of the, I'd say recruitment is, is tough um, because the biggest hurdle I think we found in the beginning is that people didn't know that becoming a member of the chapter is actually free. You're paying for a CTRA membership and it doesn't cost you any extra to become a member of the chapter. And it was a, a bit of a, a curve trying to teach people how to sign up to be a member when they were renewing their membership. But we've, we figured that out. We're going to be posting stuff about that on our Facebook page um, this month, because as I said, membership renews trying to recruit members, I think from Manitoba has been my biggest hurdle uh, because Saskatchewan members, we recruit a couple, I think a couple more every year. Like I, I would say probably four or five a year and maybe a couple students a year. So membership is slowly growing. Um, there's, there's definitely more people in Saskatchewan that promote the chapter, uh, promote CTRA. Like we've got Rebecca and Tristan who work at the university who are, you know, um, have been involved in CTRA in the past and, and speak to it about, about it with their students. Um, lots of professionals who are members of CTRA. Like I, I, again, like I said, I'm the only member of CTRA as far as I know in Manitoba. So there's tons, for me, there's tons of benefits of being a member of CTRA. It's um, the ability to attend conferences for a reduced rate. Um, being a member of the Saskatchewan Manitoba chapter means I get access to webinars that other members of CTRA don't because they, they're not members of the chapter. Um, the educational events like View of Our Research Night is another one. I mean, I've, I've always been a member of my professional organizations, but being a member of CTRA also allows me the opportunity to network with other people across the country. Like there's, there's a membership database and I can reach out to people that work in the same areas that I do. Um, speaking of which CTRA has started the communities of practice on their website. So 
if you work in mental health, do you work in rehab, whatever community of practice you work in, there's a page for you on the CTRA website behind the member login. And each community of practice has two kind of co-chairs or, or heads or whatever you want to call them. Um, and you can contact them. So I actually did that last year when I was working. I took a term in child and adolescent mental health. And I was way in over my head because teenagers scare me. I found out very quickly, teenagers, I'm not cool. So I quickly reached out to the child and adolescent community of practice heads to be like, hi, like I'm totally new to this area. Do you have anybody, any research I can read or any kind of people I can talk to? And they directed me to some great therapists, um, one of which was in Nova Scotia, who had lots of experience. And we talked on the phone and she put my mind and heart at ease and gave me some really good ideas on how to best support um, basically these clients of mine who were like 13 years old and in a, a huge mental health crisis, like how do you approach them and what are some ways you can support them when they're only there for four days to be stabilized and then sent back home or to another treatment facility, whatever. Um, and I found that so useful and I could have, you know, Googled recreation therapists that worked, blah, blah, blah. I went to see Terry's page and I found experts who connected me with experts and it was amazing and it saved me tons of time and energy and everyone was super helpful. Um, I, being part of a community too. I mean, I, I really like saying I'm a member of CTRA and I really like um, going to conferences every year and connecting with old friends, connecting with new grads, new therapists, meeting new people. Cause I mean, you get your little badge with your community of practice, which helps you identify other people in the room who have similar experience to yours. Uh, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a great organization and I would love some more members. If you want to come be part of the chapter, there's always room for new members. So, And I think Manitoba has five CTRSs. That's what Jerry Singleton shared. He, he listed off all the, so why aren't they members? Who are they? <laughs> you want names and addresses? Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's broadcast this. No, <laughs> no I, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I've, everyone I've talked to who's a CTRS out here has been awesome. Um, I am slowly trying to encourage people, but it's not something I like come on out and be like, you should be a member of CTRA. Um, I think it, it just, building rapport and relationship with them it's like you know I had someone reach out and be like hey you know I got your name from somebody and I was wondering if you could talk to me a bit about your documentation standards of practice at your site and then we start chatting and progresses to a phone call and then maybe you know I say hey we're running this event and you should come and I've actually done that with people you know I always talk to the the board um, the chapter board to be like is it okay with you guys if I invite people who aren't members to this event because I want them to see what we have to offer. And that's been my strategy thus far is, you know, in invite people to Crystal's talk on resiliency who I think would really benefit from it, but maybe aren't chapter members and say, did you like that? Wasn't that great? You know what? You should become a member of the organization. Uh, I hate to say it. It hasn't worked yet. But <laughs> like a, you're like a drug dealer. Kind of. Yeah. It's like giving people a taste and being like, you want some more? Well, you got to pay for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now that you say that, I sound exactly like a kind drug dealer. Like a dealer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very unsuccessful, though. I definitely couldn't pay my house off with 
the the work I'm doing. But um, keep, keep your day job. Exactly. But you know what? That's that's my approach. Is just I try and be encouraging and like try and offer opportunities to engage with people and with the chapter and you know oh there's this really great webinar and I'm hoping I'm hoping that one day it'll work I I again like you know I'm not sitting down and running presentations like maybe that's the next step is like one thing that the chapter we've talked about is we'd really like to do a town hall um, with people from Manitoba to be like, hey, do you guys have questions? Do you know anything about the chapter? Do you want, like, give a small presentation? But then the question is, how do you find those people and how do you encourage them to, to attend if they're not interested or they don't know anything about it? So that's, that's serve, talking. You can serve, like, virtual donuts or something and coffee. Yeah, exactly. Mail everybody a donut and a coffee. <laughs> yeah, like a, like a coupon. They can redeem it at Tim Hortons or something. Yeah, there has to be some kind of incentive, you know, so, and then I mean, recruitment is one thing, retention is another. So you did ask what retention. So something that we did earlier is back in November, we sent a survey to members to be like, hey, what are your thoughts on how things are going so far? You know, um, have you attended any of these events? What do you think of them? Is the chapter meeting your needs? If yes, how? If no, how come? Um, and so something we'd like to do is a town hall with members of the chapter to to bring people together and have it moderated by someone who's not on the board um, to just get feedback because we've been doing this for, we're coming up on three years. Like this is our third year as a, as an organization. So the point of us is to serve the members and how do we know if we're serving them if we don't talk to them? So the survey was step one, town hall is step two. And I'm really hoping to accomplish that before I'm done in June um, to help set up whoever comes in next as chair to be like, you know, this is the direction members are sharing with us. These are what they're saying their needs are their wants are this is what we've done so far and kind of hand it all on a platter and say do what you want there it is um yeah I love member feedback I'm noticing that a lot more from CTRA BCTRA and hearing it from you guys and I think that's that's the important piece and that's the piece that's gonna get the buy-in for the change that we're hoping to do in the future yeah, like my thought is people are like people are paying for this and it's not cheap. You know, like uh, depends depends on what your thoughts are and what's cheap. Um, you know, it costs $200 to be a member of CTRA if you're a professional member. And that's a lot of money and I want to make sure that people feel like we are, you know, serving them to get the best bang out of their buck. I told the students that when I went to Rebecca's class, I was like, you know, don't sign up to if you like what I have to say today great but wait to sign up till March because if you sign up now it's February (laughs) you will have to renew again in March that's a lot of money your students wait till March you know and it worked (laughs) we're getting new members Um, but I don't want people to spend money if they're not if they're not going to get the most out of it and student fees are so much cheaper. So I remember renewing while I was a student still and like, or, and then they had like CTRA had this, well, there's a joint membership with BCTRA, but it was like your first year out of school, you got a discounted rate. But then when that goes away, you're like, oh, but um, I will say that OT, I was talking to a student and their professional membership is $150 a year. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. Well, that was something I mentioned when C. Terry talked about how they were going to raise their rates. I think it was last year at the AGM. Like, I understand they hadn't raised their membership rates in, in a long, long time. And I don't know if maybe OT has more membership so they can afford, you know, to charge a little bit less. 
Um, but they also have their like, I don't know if it's their, it's, is it licensure? Like they have to pay a fee to keep their, um, their regulation or whatever it is. I sound horrible when I say this, like, cause I That's okay. clearly don't know the words, but, um, you know, they're, they're also paying to maintain those credentials. And now that I say that, so are we, <laughs> we're also paying NCTRC to maintain credentials. Some of us. So Taylor, Taylor, there's no regulations or licensure in, in Canada. So that's not a fee that they're paying for sure. But um, okay. they're paying some sort of like legal fee um, to cover whatever if something happens. Maybe. Yeah. I just know all my colleagues signed like OT reg MB behind their name. So I thought it stood for regulation. Well, OT. Or regulated. Oh, sorry. Yeah. OT is regulated. Yeah, yeah. So OT is what I, yeah. So they pay for that. So I don't know. I'm curious, but like, you know, I, I raised that too in that I think it would be difficult for members um, in Manitoba and Saskatchewan, but living and working in, in Manitoba, especially Manitoba, because the wages that were paid in this province do not compare with the wages of most other provinces. So we're already getting paid less and then to pay more for membership, I think it's a harder draw to recruit new members, um, especially if they don't know anything about the organization and they don't know what they're paying for. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a process that we're, we're working through. That's so interesting because in Saskatchewan, my wage was quite a bit higher. And um, then when I, in here in BC, really I think yeah they they had a sweet system set up um and I think it was based on what um Alberta was doing thankfully versus Manitoba and I don't know if Sherry's talked about this before but um I think it helps with retention and I mean I moved to Saskatchewan for a period of my life and Mm -hmm. the wage was um surprisingly pleasant (laughs) well and that's the other thing too right Is, is how do we retain and recruit professionals to the province if we're not like if our salaries aren't comparable or competitive, mm-hmm. um, which is, a, that's probably a whole other podcast, but I have definitely talked to my union about, you know, recruitment and retention raises. Cause I know other professionals get them, but we're such a small group already in the province that it's hard to make the sell that they should advocate for us because there's so few of us that would be affected, but like it would also help in the long run. So yeah. So I think, yeah, like I was saying for re- recruiting new members, especially in Manitoba, fees are definitely a, a big part of it, especially with wages, um, not knowing what the organization does. So that's something that I think the chapter, something I've been working on, but I'm hoping that the chapter in the next coming few years will, will really start to address that and address Manitoba members specifically. I think the big key is to get students as well. Like, encourage students to become members while they're students like you said like it's a cheaper rate start now get students involved show them what's possible and then hopefully that's another great way to recruit new members and then they just continue to maintain membership as they become professionals I will say when I interviewed when I was um, taking students in Saskatchewan I asked them are you a member of your provincial national association and um that definitely encouraged people and um, I know that's what made me become a member when I was doing my internship and we were told to through our school like some places will not take you if you're not a member of your association so I mm-hmm. think I forgot to ask 
this round of interview, but um, just, I think just asking them is kind of a light, nice nudge, even if you don't require it, that they're kind of like, oh, I should become a member, you know, like that's important. Cause you know, when mm -hmm. students come for interviews and then they do like, they're so into like, yeah, I want to be a CTRS and this and that, and I value the field and everything. And it's like, okay, well, um, it's also important to be a member, you know, for that education, for that community, for that connection. Um, mm -hmm to advance the profession. So that might be a nice approach too for all the professionals in the provinces to um, ask that question during internship interviews. That's a great idea. I, d I know I've definitely, uh, I've talked to students before too. I find sometimes there's confusion between CTRA and NCTRC. Yes. So sometimes having to explain the difference between those as well. Because um, oftentimes they'll get confused and conflated with one another. So important to know that you're not you, you get your ctrs credentials from nctrc but you're not a member of nctrc versus ctra is your professional organization and um yeah they have so much to offer i've always i mean even when i was a student i was a student member of track which is now nstra um and that gave me a lot of really great experience sitting on boards and learning a bit more about what was going on in the profession and i mean that's a whole other thing is is joining on to be a board member but just being a member itself that gives you voting rights it gives you voting privileges so you can say what you want the organization to do and you you can provide feedback and being a member allows you those opportunities to agree or disagree and provide feedback and again like I said I, I believe that organizations need to work for the membership um, that they serve another thing with CTRA though is that you know because we don't have a regulatory body and we're not licensed CTRA is the closest thing I think we have to um, they're not a regulating body but the closest thing we have to something like it I mean CTRA sets the standards of practice for recreation therapists in Canada um, and they're currently working on a new standards of practice document and it I think it's great I think it needs and needs the refresh the last time we had a standards of practice document done was 2006 um, so again, if you are somebody who wants to be a professional and you want to, you want to work in the field, being a member of CTRA gives you that kind of, I look to CTRA for the standards of practice because although my organization has standards of practice, they're based off of CTRA standards of practice. So that's CTRA is kind of ultimately where I look to be like, what should I be doing and what should I be focusing on and how do I, how do I do this job? Mm -hmm. professionally and appropriately so yeah that email from Lauren Cripps is in my inbox and I on my to-do list and I am looking forward to sitting down and thinking about it and providing feedback yeah um okay so what are some of the existing committees and priorities the chapter is working on I know when I was there I was on the education committee yeah so we actually did I want to say disbanded the committees. We had the education committee and the, oh Ad my gosh, advocacy Ad committee. Thank you. Um, so we, we decided this year that it was too much to ask people to come to board meetings and then sit on separate meetings um, for these separate committees. Because I think ideally the hope is that we'll start getting members involved in the committees. Um, and so board members just weren't feeling like they had the energy. So we just decided to do that work together. So those things went on to the agenda for the board meetings. So education advocacy, and we would talk about them. 
and and we just kind of divide and conquer the uh, the different tasks. So right now we do not have any committees, um, but we do the work together because we just don't have the buy-in right now and the capacity to start running um, committees with board or with uh, chapter members. But that's something that maybe we'll address at the town hall. So kind of in terms of what our priorities are and our next steps are. Definitely the town hall, we would like to get member feedback. We want to have conversations with people. Surveys are great and it gives us a great place to kind of start. Where do we start? What do we address at the town hall? So yeah, like what do members want? Do members want more of a hand in things? Do they want to sit on committees? Do people want to commit that kind of time? Um, recruitment, like I was saying, is another one like recruitment in Manitoba. Recruitment in Saskatchewan, I mean, we've got lots of lovely members. We've got a good number of members, but there's more, there's more recreation therapists in Saskatchewan than, than there are members of the chapter. So, you know, the hope is to get everyone involved eventually. Um, we have been working on a partnership with SARP. So our um, webinar we did with Crystal Watson was put on in conjunction with SARP. Um, our TRA was also involved, but it started as a joint thing between SARP and, and the chapter. So we're looking at continuing a partnership. There was a joint membership agreement in the works. I believe it is still going forward, but the hope was to this year start kind of working together and finding priorities we could both agree on that would be appropriate for us to both tackle versus what the chapter could support SARP um, members in, like TR members in, because they serve such a broad range of members. How can we support them and, and maybe specifically focus on the needs of their TR members with that joint membership. So again, the joint membership's not in effect yet, but this year was just kind of a getting to know you, identifying priorities, identifying overlap, identifying gaps, and you know, how do we how do we support one another and is it a good fit? So that's been on the table. I think those are the big ones. Like I think the the town hall with members is gonna really help set more specific priorities going forward. Um, so I would encourage if there's any members out there listening right now, keep your eyes peeled on your email for something about that this spring. Taylor, I have to say a little bit of my piece on SARP because you know, you know how I feel and it, it, I wouldn't be authentic if I didn't say anything. Um, for me, it's always been like about, I just wish that those members would join the chapter and can stay a member of SARP but the piece about providing education to generalists um, about our field when, when there's no regulation and there are people with different qualifications in the field. I, mm -hmm. The joint membership really doesn't sit well with me for CTRA. Um, mm -hmm. And I know it's a very controversial thing and people have their opinions and I'm sure not everyone's going to be happy with me, but that is fine. Um, yeah, that's all I'm going to yeah. say. <laughs> no, and I think that I think that's fair, you know, like I, I did raise some questions as well, because I think so much work went into the joint membership before the chapter was created. So there's been a question of, well, what is the chapter's role now that there there is an organization in the province? Because before there wasn't. So I think the joint membership agreement was going to be between CTRA and SARP. But now that CTRA has a chapter in the province, would it would the would the membership be better served just becoming a member of of the chapter of CTRA 
versus the joint membership. And that's been a conversation that's been ongoing for a while because I think, yeah, like before the chapter was created, the joint membership was the path. And that's where a lot of the time and energy and creation was going was, well, the best way to serve members is to combine, combine forces. But now there's another organization there that can maybe meet those needs. So it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely a debate and a conversation. And I know lots of people are on different sides of it. Um, so I will, I'll leave it there. Yeah, I actually had a meeting in the fall with um, Tanya and the president of CTRA expressing my concerns. And I will leave it there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And we'll end on a high note, hey? Um, Yeah. No, so, okay, so that's that question. Okay, we already spoke about reconnection. So the final question is, um, where do you see the profession in 10 years in Manitoba? And what role does the Saskatchewan Manitoba chapter play in moving the profession forward? Well, I'll tell you where I want to see it. How's that? (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of a dream question. The dream question. Yeah, I mean, I would personally love, you know, I, I'm, I try to be mindful of my capacity and my, my scope, but I would really love to successfully advocate for TR specific degrees for entry to practice in Manitoba. Um, That might be kind of lofty in 10 years because I'm slowly realizing I've been here for almost eight years (laughs) and things haven't really changed, but where has the advocacy been, you know? So I don't know. So I personally would like to advocate for that and to see that change. Um, I'd like to see a a community of people who are closer together. Like I would really like to have opportunities to get to know my colleagues in other hospitals and other sites more um, and have more opportunities to engage in person, not even just with COVID, but just genuinely like, are there ways to have social events with people and, and build that community so that we feel like we can reach out to one another and have conversations about the work that we're doing. And ultimately through those conversations, get more people to become members of CTRA um, and members of the chapter, because I think so many people in this province have so much good to do, but so many people are, are just tired because the day to day work and advocacy just in their own sites with their own colleagues and managers it's so much that how do you even begin to think about where how do you begin to think about approaching the whole system so maybe we can make slow steps over the next 10 years within our own bubbles to make the change in the system so degree entry to practice let's get some competitive wages up in here I think that that would do us some good um recruiting new professionals I'd love to, I'd love to have more positions you know I think advocating for the role and um advocating for the purpose of recreation therapy I would really love to build the communities and build the positions within our sites as well you know I think recreation therapy can take place in so many different areas and there's so many underserved units and and populations in the province that I think could benefit so oh let's let's go with that for now I think that that's a good place to start I'd I mean I'd love to like paint a huge picture but I also know that things take time and I think it's important to keep that in mind that things take time but if we advocate for ourselves and we speak up and we work together I think that we can make 
a lot of positive steps. And I think that's doable. I think like maybe licensure in Manitoba might be a bit delusional, but I think what you yes. said <laughs> is possible. <laughs> I think, yeah, like, I mean, Nova Scotia is talking about licensure, which is awesome. They've got a huge rec therapy community out there. Again, I'm, I grew up out there. I went to school there. So I'm familiar with a lot of the folks out there and they've got some big powerhouses who are really pushing things forward, which I love. And so, you know, if, if one of the provinces becomes successful with licensure, I think that will get the ball rolling, not necessarily for licensure in Manitoba, but to be like, okay, look at where this is headed. If we can point somewhere and say, this is where it's headed, because every province is, is different, right? Um, we can look to our managers and look to site leadership and say, this is what's happening. You know, I would, I would be happy to do a presentation to my site leadership about recreation therapy and its role and its purpose and the importance of degree entry to practice and all of these things. But to an extent, that's not my role because I'm not the clinical service leader, the director of rec therapy at my hospital. So I'd have to make a couple jumps and get approval from a lot of people, but like I would be more than willing to do it, but I want to do it appropriately. And I want to make sure that I, um, there, when I first started, there were a lot of folks in management um, that were afraid that if we brought attention to ourselves, it would give them more reason to delete us. And I think a lot of folks work with that mindset, maybe not necessarily in all provinces, but sometimes it feels very much like if you bring attention to yourself, gives them a reason to get rid of you because it's like oh you know we weren't looking at them and now we are we need to save money or whatever but I think that's because a lot of people I've worked with especially people who are have been in the profession a long time have seen it happen like they've experienced like dramatic cuts departments disappearing um, and the recreation therapy role getting smaller and smaller and smaller and I'm at the point where I'm like well maybe we need to say and do something to get the attention back to grow again, because it's going to come in waves. Um, and again, and that's another thing is where I just, I've started saying that by my advocacy is me coming in and doing my job and having sometimes other people speak for me. So, you know, maybe it's my manager bringing it up to her manager to be like this project that Taylor was working on has had a really positive impact on our patients or, you know, the work I'm doing reaches the foundation and the foundation runs a piece on me to raise money for my program, which recently happened. And then, you know, suddenly I'm in everybody's inbox talking about my program and the work I'm doing and raising money. And I'm in the paper and, you know, bringing a spotlight back on direct therapy. And you know what? To an extent, if you can be a positive mouthpiece for the hospital, then maybe you have some wiggle room on how much you can start advocating and pushing. So, I think instead of trying to shy away from the spotlight, we need to start scooting ourselves back in there because we're so important and we do so much great work. And I think um, we shouldn't be afraid of people knowing that. I've never heard the opposite. I've always like, we've been told to kind of toot our own horn and, oh, we don't do it enough. And I was like, mm, I think we actually do. Well, not enough, but um, quite a bit, I think from 
what I've heard from my school and different people, it's like share and like there has been different articles and stuff in Saskatchewan and BC, but I think like supporting that with like stats and something and showing like this is how many referrals I'm getting, this is the caseload of a PT and OT, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. this, these are the outcomes and this is the research. And that was what I had a student do was make a proposal for a new position, a full-time position. Nice. And when I was in Saskatchewan and this is the reason why and did it to the manager and did it you know practice lead and everyone on the unit because everyone valued what they saw recreation was doing Um, and I think having those discussions in public places when everyone's there it's you know that you said what you said and everyone heard it and Mm -hmm. and you can do with it what they want but it's true yeah and it's hard to do I, I I've never been one to to really enjoy tooting my own horn <laughs> um but it's Very good. you have to if if you don't know who will right and, and I think I'm very lucky where I'm at now. I love my call. Like I love my OTPT crew. I love my social workers. I love my unit manager, the unit staff, everyone. Um everyone is so supportive and it's a great environment to be in. Um because I'm the only recreation therapist for my unit and I'm the only recreation therapist outside of the mental health program. So I'm the only one doing the type of work that I am in on site. And we don't really have a department. We don't meet as a department, as a rec therapy department. We don't, we don't really socialize much because we're working in totally different areas and really no one else is full time. So it's like, I'm kind of on my own for a lot of it. And so I really do rely, like I've, I've, I mean, I've done a lot of groundwork to educate my colleagues and co-workers and what I do um, and I put a lot of work into that but it's to the point now where like I don't have to tell anyone anymore they just know mm-hmm. and that's really great and then when they know they can speak about you to in other circles and it gives you such a bigger reach than if you just say it yourself so while I do agree we definitely need to toot our own horns if you are lucky enough to have colleagues that once they get it will share it with everyone else you reach so many more people and it's so nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it is exhausting to be like, Hey, this is the success story, you know? Yeah. Um, I do want to give you the opportunity if I haven't asked any questions, if there's anything else you want to share. Um, that's a great, that's a great opportunity. Well, just in general, Winnipeg is a great place. And I think that everyone should come visit there's stuff to do all year round. Don't let the cold fear you. But if you're, if you're not much into the cold, I mean, there's so many great restaurants and growing up in Nova Scotia, I love it there. But like even living in Halifax, like bands didn't really come. You love come to Winnipeg. All the bands come through Winnipeg because it's right smack dab in the middle. Um, so yes, feel free to come. It's a, it's a great place. Beautiful, great people, great food. Um, lots of wonderful culture. Uh, I think that I just kind of want to, well, thank you for this opportunity and just let everyone know that um, everyone's doing a great job. And if anybody ever wants to reach out, I'm happy to chat. I'm happy to collaborate. Um, I'm happy to take students. <laughs> Not uh, right this oh. second, but happy to take students. Um, my big my big goal is when I first came to Winnipeg, I think my thought was like, oh, this place needs, like, recreation over here really needs help, and, like, I'm going to fix it all. Uh, I think that was part of the drive of why I stayed. I was like, well, I can make things better. And I think that I can do some of that, but I can't do it alone. Um, so I'm 
going to take as many steps as I can and do as much groundwork as I can. Um, and I'm hoping that if anybody wants to come and join me, that they will. Uh, and I'm not going to give up because I think that this profession is beautiful and very much worth fighting for. And um, I'm so, so happy that I found this program when I was graduating high school. And, and it's exactly what I want to do with my life. Oh, I love that. And I'm glad you brought up the Winnipeg thing again, because I was like, after I kind of poo-pooed on Winnipeg, I felt a little guilty about it. And that, <laughs> that definitely just comes from my ignorance and not actual like representation of the province. <laughs> I would do the same thing to Saskatchewan, though. Like, I've really never, I, I've been to Saskatchewan once and I would be, I would do the same. Like, why would I even go to Saskatchewan? Um but you've spoken wonderfully about Saskatchewan. So I think there you go. You know, we're just addressing everybody's bias right off the bat. The prairies are gorgeous. One of the first things I noticed when I moved here was like, there's so much sky. Yeah. Which sounds ridiculous, but there's so much sky. My mom's dad, when she went to visit my, cause he's from Saskatchewan originally. When he went to visit my mom in BC, he was like, this view would be so beautiful if they just got rid of all the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was like, what is wrong with you oh that's so great um, that's really fun <laughs> yeah very very prairie uh viewpoint but okay I want to say some things first of all I want to thank you so much this was a very long podcast and I I didn't expect it to go this long and I Neither think did I. <laughs> I think um you made some very good points and good insight and I've always liked your approach. You're very calm. You're very positive. You have good perspective. Like you're someone who I would call like a person who's a voice of reason. And I need those people in my life because I can get very tunnel vision and focused on certain things. So it's nice to have that approach and the different perspectives. Um, what else did I write down here? Oh, yeah. I hope you share this with um, Manitoba colleagues. And this is a good way to toot your own horn, you know, like to mail this podcast out to people that you work with or management and like, oh, she does that. Oh, she speaks that well. She's done all those things. Um, that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, I think you're doing a great job. You have a really good reputation and it's very nice that um, you're so supportive of students and advancing the field. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to ride that high right on into Friday. <laughs> it's been a long week so I really appreciate all of that Mary <laughs> true I'm I'm pretty genuine I might be blunt but I'm pretty genuine <laughs> I very much I very much believe that and you're very passionate that's one thing when we were on the board together like I was like this Mary is so passionate and just like you just want to push everything forward in like the best way um so yeah thank you for all the energy you brought to the board <laughs> <laughs> And tension sometimes. But um, anyways, it makes everyone a better person. Um, yeah, so we can end it there. I, are you two hours ahead or three hours ahead? I apologize. I'm two hours ahead. Okay. Well, good luck falling asleep now. Um, thank you. <laughs> and thank you very much for sharing all your knowledge. Thank you for having me, Mary. I really appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.